0: Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss what leadership looks like in the modern insurance business. We talk to insurtech leaders and founders, innovators and change agents from the insurance industry. We also talk to thought leaders from outside the industry, such as organizational psychologists, performance coaches and investment professionals. Anyone who can add value to the conversation on how to lead insurance businesses of the future. good morning and welcome to the leadership in insurance podcast i'm your host alex bond and i'm very lucky to be joined by adam from well nfp ventures but it's a, it's a little bit more complex than that so um good morning adam how are you doing
1: alex i'm doing great and uh great to be with you with you today
0: yeah no thank you very much well look i, I sort of said nfp but um perhaps you kind of for the folks that don't know as much about the venture world um be kind of great if you could kind of introduce the business and and yeah, how it kind of potentially is morphing away from kind of an NFP Ventures um, title as well. That might be interesting to know.
2: Yeah,
1: I was just thinking about the best way to do this. So I'm, I'm Adam Blumenkrantz, as Alex mentioned. Um, I work for NFP Ventures, which historically has been the corporate venture capital arm of NFP, which is a large national incumbent insurance broker in the US. And first three and a half years, we've been under the NFP umbrella as NFP Ventures. And I don't know if it was last week, next week and a month from now, but we are transitioning to our own standalone fund. The new name will be called Distributed Ventures. NFP, the institution is gonna be our largest anchor LP. So in terms of our differentiation as an investor, nothing will change. Mm -hmm. Core focus on insurance distribution across all lines of business very close working relationship with who's going to be our core anchor lp nfp and you know we plan to have as much success going forward as we've had over the first three and a half years out of the gate
0: awesome thanks adam that's 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 a great intro and um yeah i wanted to ask you and i suppose it probably changes slightly with this kind of new 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 raise and um new round in that you know what are the advantages of kind of working in the kind of corporate venture versus the kind of standalone? And obviously, you know, clearly they've, clearly, you're, you're sort of shifting from one to the other. Has there, you know, been in this sort of three and a half years you've been around, um, it, has that played to your advantage? Have, have there been situations where the kind of unique connection to NFP has kind of helped you either uh, win in rounds of investment or, or kind of just, just just kind of helped along some of the kind of um, investments you've made
1: yeah it's a good question that the team and i think about all the time because you're right being associated with an with an incumbent working for a core venture capital arm which we have done historically obviously going to change a little bit going forward there's a ton of advantages, Mm -hmm. but there's also a ton of pitfalls and disadvantages that you have to be very aware of. And so the obvious one is, you know, you're associated, you're attached to a large national incumbent, how flexible are you? Mm -hmm. You know, how rigid is your mandate? And so, you know, we've done a great job setting expectations on both sides, not only with founders, but also internally Mm-hmm. you know, related to how critical it is in this day, and age, this day and age and the market we're in, which is absurd, which we'll get to later on in the yeah, discussion. Yeah, definitely. You have to be flexible. You have to be nimble. You can't wait for the core business to spend six months, you know, working with us on diligence, only to turn around and thumbs up. And then we start a diligence process. So you're going to miss every deal you want to get into. And so we've worked really hard to ensure that whatever disadvantages could exist, with the CVC structure have for us is you know, the first point. The second point on the advantage side is there are 6,000 employees that work for NFP. And then more broadly, NFP's got massive relationships, you know given our influence in the market with carriers of all shapes and sizes and incumbent technology companies. And so in theory on paper, you have an incredible network of subject matter experts that you can call on and speak to um, you know, during diligence. And so you know, the other thing that we've over-indexed on the first three and a half years out of the gate is building that network, ensuring that we're not going to folks when we have an opportunity and they're meeting us for the first time, because you know, what, what, what's that conversation gonna be like? For 30 minutes you're introducing yourself, you don't really know them. So we spend, I don't know what the number is, but more time than in theory one may think we should Working those relationships, getting to know folks within NFP and sort of the broader ecosystem that NFP plays in to appreciate what makes them tick, what they're interested in, who's got appetite for real tra- for real change and innovation and technology. And so when we do have a company that we're looking at, either on the diligent side or after the dollars are in and we're talking more post-investment support, you know, we're picking up a discussion with a friend. Yeah. And we're getting real information. We're getting to the bottom of things very quickly. We know it makes sense. We know it doesn't. You know, and the last thing I'll say is, you know, your point, this day and age, not only are, are rounds in terms of multiples and the valuations through the roof, but there are also a lot of funds. And so it's more competitive than ever. Mm. And so everyone sort of has to figure out what their differentiation as an investor is. And so ours is, the ability to tap into this massive network of subject matter experts and distribution is the good piece, the bad piece is you have to deliver on that promise. Yeah. And the minute you make that promise and 18 months, 24 months goes by, you don't deliver, you know, word will get around quickly. Mm-hmm. And so it's critical for us that again, we foster those relationships. So when the time comes post-investment to get that support and tap into that distribution, we can fulfill or deliver on the promises we make to investors up front or to sure. entrepreneurs up
2: front.
0: Yeah. 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 I, I think the thing that struck me about um, venture and particularly um, yeah, it was relatively new to me. You know, I, I specialize in sure tech and, and you know, three years ago started entering that world and it's mm-hmm. only then you kind of coincide with like investors and venture capital. And, and what surprised me most is that the money's kind of like, Taken for granted, right? You like, like you can't run a fund if you don't have any cash, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the kind of taken for granted. What surprised me was how important networking was. Um, you know, your ability yes. to connect people with importance, and it seems to be that 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 yes. is the core thing, like the strength of that.
1: People think, you know, from the outside looking in, they think venture capital investing, investing in general, uncertain. I guess aspects of investing is, mm-hmm. but venture capital is not only about the techno right? Can you model? Can you mm-hmm. size the market? Can mm-hmm. you do the desk features, research? So much of what we do is related to empathy, mm-hmm. right? Can you put yourself into the shoes of the entrepreneur? What do they want from you? And to your point, do they just want capital? Great, they could probably get that from anyone. Mm-hmm. Do they want distribution? Do they want subject matter expertise? Do they have all that? And frankly, they're first-time founder, and what they want is someone who's going to help them, you know, operationalize their business and position them to grow really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, you're right. You know, the, the other piece of that is, um, people want to work with people they you know want to spend time with, and yeah. so you know, it's not just about getting on a call and flexing your you know strategic muscle or your you know, intelligence muscles about how I've done the research and I could size the market and I know how the model and the percentage and how all this comes together. Is that what an entrepreneur wants? Or, entrepreneur wants, you know, someone who could, um, you know, have a conversation about whatever issue they're having that day. And it may be super tactical and financial related, or it may be about recruiting. Yeah. Yeah you know, and, um, and, you know, more on the people side. So you're right, I think it's a very underestimated side of the industry is the network, the, you know, the empathy and the, you know, interpersonal relationships that are so important, not only between entrepreneur and investor, but also investor and investor.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it was something that took me by surprise, but, um, you know, pivoting that kind of almost in the reverse, talking about the money, you know, we've mentioned due diligence, we've mentioned the size right. of the rounds. Seems yeah. to me that the time given to due diligence is going down because of the amount of competition, (laughs) but the, but the, but the size of the rounds is going up, you know, I just wanted to get your like hot take on, you know, the state of the market at the moment. Um, it's frothy. Is it a bubble or, you know, what's, what's your view?
1: Yeah. Uh, it's scary, Alex. (laughs) It's frothy. It's a bubble, but just because it's frothy in a bubble, does it mean it's going to burst tomorrow? No. No, you know, maybe two years, five years, 10 years, maybe two decades. We are, we are in once in a generation, really unique time in terms of what technology is doing across so many different industries. So there's no doubt that in theory, there's justification for some of the bubble or frothiness, mm-hmm. but it doesn't change the fact that you're right. You know, the time to make a decision is going down and, uh, you know, multiples and valuations are going up. hmm and so, you know, now more than ever, critically important sort of like, know your strategy as an investor, know mm-hmm. what you do best, know where you can flex, know where, you know, there is opportunity to get, you know, a little frothy on the multiple side. Because in our case, we either A, know the size of the opportunity. And from a return profile standpoint, it still makes sense. Or, you know, know that it's a little bit frothy today, but just within the NFP ecosystem, you know, either within NFP or our carrier partners or some of our other broker partners, there's enough opportunity that in a short amount of time or on an accelerated basis, the company will grow into that valuation.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so, you know, coming to the table, Alex, I guess, with as much of an informed perspective as possible in these you know environments is super critical mm. and so it's something we spend a lot of time on.
0: Mm. I was going to say how do you adjust to that do you do you become much more rigid on your thesis on, on we're interested in these opportunities and or, or 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 is it more about as you mentioned kind of what what you offer and kind of looking at your own usp
1: yeah. So hundred percent, like you have to be now more than ever, you have to be thesis driven because mm-hmm. you have to put the work in up front. So if you have three weeks to make a decision, you can't possibly start from scratch.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. So you really have to do the work in advance. And a lot of that relates back to being super thesis driven. The reality is there's always going to be a, a part of what we do. That's going to be more opportunistic, mm-hmm. you know, just because it's, you know, impossible for us to have a thesis or, um, or you know, do all the research necessary or that's relevant to every problem that theory distribution or subject matter e- matter expertise related to NFP and our ecosystem mm. um, can help with. But, you know, that goes back to having the network, right? So although we, don't, we may not know everything about that particular market, that particular problem, if we have the network in advance, when we are presented with that opportunistic deal, we very quickly know who to talk to, sort of the questions we need to ask. And so, you know, we won't know everything, but we'll get up to speed pretty quickly because of those relationships that are in place. But yeah, you're right. Thesis and doing as much work in advance of meeting these companies is more critical than it's ever been.
2: Mm.
0: And that's, I think that's the thing. I mean, in sure tech. you know, someone asked me, the other day saying, oh, you specialize in insure tech. And they actually went, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, it was, a, it's a really good question, you know, because you are talking anything from the kind of neo insurers that are like full stack digital insurers, digital MTAs right. through to kind of like really niche kind of SaaS products. Um, and, you know, it was a really good question for me to answer because I was going, well, what, what's the problem I solve? You know, what, what specific problem am I best served to solve? And, and, you know, you, you do you look at everything and you can't, you know, just simply not enough time. And, and, and then also you kind of, you, you wish you, you end up diluting the brand, right. You, you know, if you, mm-hmm. if you Adam at NFP like takes on something, which is outside of like your kind of real natural kind of knowledge base or outside of the kind of immediate knowledge base of NFP. Um, it's just, it just, it's going to be a bad look right over the yeah. strength of time. Um Yeah. I wanted to ask you about pitching I, and I'd asked this, Um, you know, I had James Tuzel one from EOS who I know you that, you know, um, yeah. and uh, I was going to be that mean means. and ask you, ask you about a cultural difference between the earth and UK. And and I think that's unfair because, you know, you operate in the US market and and so therefore right. kind of the exposure is different, but I wanted to ask you something I asked him, which is what, what you specifically look for in a, in a good pitch. What does that, what, what really ticks the boxes for you?
1: Yeah. Um, so uh, a founder I can get along with is mm-hmm. like top of that list. Number one. Number two is a founder with passion. You know, I'm going to say a lot of cliche stuff. Hopefully somewhere in this answer, Alex, I'll get to something that's not cliche. I have no man. idea. We'll see. I'm hoping for the best right now.
0: Clichés um, are clichés for a reason though, right? You know, they're, they're, yeah, exactly. They're no, it's
1: important. It's sure. important. You want subject matter expertise somewhere along the line. I mean, you know, there are sometimes we have just a phenomenal founder that checks every other box and you think, you know, he'll be able to grow his team. That'll help him on the subject matter side, which, which also works.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I guess the most important thing is clarity and focus, right. uh, particularly in insurance. You know, there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of uh, need for change. But what I sometimes say is I can spend 15 minutes probably with Alex or anyone with you or with anyone. Mm. In terms of like what the future of whatever we're talking about within insurance needs to look like that's the easy part yeah the difficult part is appreciating how the chess pieces within insurance work appreciating how difficult change management and inertia is and the incumbent players and the the influence they have on the decision making of others within the industry all that stuff is the difficult the more difficult piece of the puzzle and so if we're talking about an insurance company, whether it's, you know, an MGA, a new carrier, an incumbent or a software company signed to an incumbent, I want to hear that you've thought about that piece, you know, more so than you've got the slickest technology in the world. And, um, you know, you're going to light the industry on fire just on the tech piece alone. Yeah. So that, you know, it's obviously all the cliche stuff. but Then the specific thing that I guess is, um, unique to insurance is an appreciation for the nuances and the change management, mm. and what it is, and the clarity and the focus that it is going to take to go from step one to step two to step three, four, and beyond.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's really that's that's really insightful because as much as it, you 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 felt like you're giving me a cliched answers, I think that last bit particularly is interesting for me because you know you and I both know that I've spoken to a number of kind of companies and we have talked about this before fairly early stage tech's great right the tech they've created is you know groundbreaking it's different it's but there's almost like a willful lack of appreciation for the complexity of insurance
1: that's right
0: and rather than kind of it be this kind of it's, it's often worn as a badge of honor like people love talking about disruption and you know we're the we're the uber for this or whatever right right,
2: right but right. actually
0: i i start it starts to ring hollow and 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 you know i said to someone the other day that they were going insurance is broken i was like i think lemonade trotted that line out you know yeah and they've done very well out of it and and yeah. they might be right but you yeah. kind of at some point you've got to stop saying the same thing because yeah, yeah. you know because yeah because particularly for me if you don't have any insurance professionals or enough insurance knowledge on board or advisors or whatever way you get that information into your business it just smacks that you don't know what you you don't know what you're talking about
1: that Alex I'm so glad you brought it up because now that I think about it that's the like the number one pet peeve that I have with entrepreneurs that's the it's the quickest way to get a pass mm-hmm. is if and you know, maybe to back up, we play NFP Ventures, now Distributed Ventures going forward. We play late seed, early Series A. So we're early, yeah. right? You don't need product market fit in theory, you know, signs of it, a little bit of revenue helpful. But again, like our value is to take those little, those, those pieces that you have as you're getting close to product market fit and, you know, starting to scale on the revenue side, bringing in our strategic distribution potential and then really, you know, scaling a business from there. And so um, I'm okay, and almost prefer when we ask the questions you just you know referenced, and the answer is from the entrepreneur. I don't know the answer.
2: Mm-hmm. Here's my
1: best guess today.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Here's how I plan to you know iterate on. I'm going to try to find the answer this way. If it's A or B, I'll go in this direction. If it's C or D, I'll go in this direction. But Adam, as we're sitting here today, the answer is I don't know. Mm. That's an A plus answer. That's expected. We're playing early. The valuations are what they are for a reason because you don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. The easiest way to lose all credibility, and whether it's intentional or not, for me personally to say, I'm not interested in this business, is when, again, Alex, I mean, you you made reference to it, is when you know, you sort of like brush it aside or you give an answer that you think is concrete. We both know you know it's not concrete.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, it's clear as day that either you don't you're not up for the task because you don't understand that that's not the answer and that's going to be much more challenging to get or you very much know what you're doing and you're just not being honest and yeah. you think you're telling me what i want to hear mm. and you know usually in the first few conversations that happens it's um it's a sign of things to come and that's rarely something that ever changes yeah so yeah yeah i, I totally agree with you
0: i think culturally though there's something um and i think this is a hangover from the pure like tech plays and 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 the the tech world is this kind of like bad boy tech image of of oh it's all about ripping things up and and i've always thought you need to understand the thing to break it you know it's like you need to understand something to take it apart and then put it back together in a better way um like like anything um and know you might understand a a specific problem better than anyone in the insurance industry so let's say let's say artificial intelligence and then you want to apply that to insurance but like for me the smart way to do that is go we know everything about ai now let's find someone that knows a lot about insurance and we can we can pull that together Mm -hmm. um vice versa right we've we've had lots of people that come from insurance that have a got have got an idea of the solution but they need a tech co-founder and and and, you know that challenge Mm -hmm. um so I, I was gonna I, I was gonna ask you this one. Um mm-hmm. uh, I do want to talk about talent, but that's my kind of go-to passion subject. So I will probably save that a bit. Um okay. what do what do people usually get wrong when they're pitching? Is is it that is it that kind of like brushing aside or something, or is there some other kind of um pitfall that you see people fall into? So it's
1: definitely that. The other one is especially the 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 uh you know, where we play, which is early, mm-hmm. uh, you know, don't focus on, you know, your ridiculous $10 billion market that makes no sense.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I don't yeah, care yeah.
1: about that. We'll get yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to assume that, you know, there's a big enough market here. We'll figure out if it's 2 billion, 20 billion, a hundred billion, like we'll get there. I'm not interested in starting there. What I want to start with again, for a seed and series A company is, again, you just, I mean, you just articulated it. What's the problem, the specific problem today Within insurance, you got to go real deep, right? Explain the nuances of it. And then where's your wedge into that problem? Where are you going to start, right? Because if it's as complicated and as much of a disaster as I'd imagine the entrepreneur thinks it is, you know, you can't just flip a switch. So you got to start somewhere. So where are you going to start and why are you going to start there? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if you start there, how's it going to help you solve the next problem and the next problem, the next problem. And then over time, you know, you know, the, the, like the last five or 10 minutes of the first conversation, you then want to tell me once you, you know, get over those first four to five huddle, uh, hurdles, you know, then all of a sudden it unlocks this massive market. Great. But don't tell me, you know, you have great tech and a ten dollars market. We're great entrepreneurs. So as a result, you should be interested in my company. Mm. So, you know, it's, uh again, it's sort of all the same theme we're, we're mm. talking about, unfortunately, but it's, the appreciation for complexities in the industry
0: yeah how important is it for you that someone's been um you know been a founder before um and obviously it's kind of i assume the obvious answer is that if they've been a founder and they have a good exit that's great but is there any benefit to someone even being a founder if it's not gone well like how do you view that when someone comes in and you know uh, yeah how do you view that kind of situation
1: yeah it's a good question uh you, you get, you get, you get credit for being a founder before because, yes. you know, and when, when I started this and I'm sure you probably felt similarly, you know, you think that it's more just an on paper thing, but you know, as an entrepreneur that you, you make a lot of mistakes mm-hmm. and you learn a lot, yeah whether, whether you're doing it for five years or 10 years or three years. And the reality is whether you succeed or fail. Mm. And so, you come to the table saying, this is my second or third, whether they failed or not, whether they succeeded or not, you're probably, you're, you're to your point, you're probably going to get credit for that. And yeah. you should, because you're going to inevitably make less mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the flip side of that is if you're a first-time founder, you know, first-time founders have been successful, right? Everyone, sure. even yep. even repeat entrepreneurs had to be a, success, a first-time founder at some point,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but you know, you're just... Uh, You'll be a little more careful in terms of asking certain questions about what they can do and can't do, where they're going to need help, where they won't need help, mm-hmm. and you know, on our side, we'll we'll sort of ensure that what we can do and can't do for them, and what we have time for, we don't have time for, what we think they have time and don't have time for, sort of aligns with where they are as a business.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but you know, so to answer your question, it's you know, you'll get a you'll get a few points for being yeah. an entrepreneur, or rep entrepreneur, yeah. as you should, but you know, it's not a wholesale. You know, um, rejection or significant downgrade if you're a first time founder.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's a good point. I mean, I I, I was thinking about this. Um, I've I think I've read something and someone was saying that they'd had one of one of their investments had to phone up and said that unfortunately they'd had to fold. Um, and the it was a it was a private investor, but he was he was writing this article saying I'd still invest in that person in the next yep. business they do because I just believe in them and and. It was, bad timing bad luck you know all of these things um you know but because I, I i think about this is my second recruitment business and the first one it didn't fail in terms of kind of financially but it was it was it was the wrong setup and and i learned more about anything i'll ever do yeah with that going wrong um yeah. you know we had a business partner we both had completely different visions about the business and you know and then we had kind of we had didn't have any cast iron agreements about how we were going to kind of you know travel through the first three years of existence so we both kind of just went oh it's fine assuming that we both saw the world the same way and we didn't you know and then recent recently i had a um a wannabe kind of uh you know startup guy talking to me about he'd found a partner but they were having these kind of problems about agreeing a way forward and i was like Stop now! It's like yeah. that's a disaster waiting to happen, and and not because either party's is bad people. And you know, like my business partner, good guy, like really good at his job, just didn't want the same thing as me, and 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 right. we didn't get that out early enough. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's so difficult.
1: No, I, you're you're that that point's a great one. Like if you fail as an entrepreneur, but you learn this incredibly valuable lesson that now you know you're going to take to your next business. Who cares if you fail? That lesson's worth gold.
0: Yeah, so yeah, good point. Oh. I, I I learned that I'm a complete megalomaniac and I have to be in charge. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I whatever, work. For whatever works. Yeah, whatever yeah, works, yeah. Jobs, yeah I was works. like, why do why you work for yourself? And I'm like, I'm completely unmanageable. that's, that's what it is. <laughs> um, um, but um, yeah, I mean, so uh, talent is my pet pet project. Obviously, uh, it was a bit yeah. more than that. It's my business. Yeah. It's amazing what I'm doing it's And and I I think I think I underplay how much I enjoy. L- particularly this, this space. And, and, and look, I play in the same area as you, as you know, as sort of large seed rounds or, uh, you know, series A. Um, and the reason I do it is because I, I love, I love the fact that if I put someone into a 10 man business, it, it can transform that business. You know, it can be the the reason they succeed or fail. I'm not, I'm not going to claim that, you know, that glory for myself, you know, it's about the people right. involved, but it's just, it's, it's more exciting to me than, you know, adding, A a person into a you know a traded company because it it doesn't shift the dial so it's really interesting yeah
2: Um, yeah.
0: how important do you think kind of the teams are to the success versus kind of like the idea or the concept or the tech for example
1: you 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 downplay it the reality is I'm not sure there's a more important conversation that we're gonna have during today's discussion than this and a story Uh, like full stop for multiple reasons um also i'm here today you know not because i have this incredible reputation and you know you sought me out we never spoke before and you just wanted me on your podcast And maybe it's a piece of it but the bigger piece is you know i saw the writing on the wall Mm -hmm. talent and recruiting is going to be the difference for a lot of the businesses at the seed and and a stage that we play Mm -hmm. and you know we started talking, and frankly, as far as I'm concerned, maybe feel differently. Became friends, yeah, and bonded no pun intended, Alex Bond <laughs> over the <laughs> fact that we felt and saw eye to eye with, yeah. with this stuff. And so, um, you know, we started talking, I don't know how long ago, and even since then, it's become more paramount. Talent recruitment, more paramount. The, the competition in market for these companies is absurd. You know, it all trickles down. There's more money out there. There's more founders that are starting businesses. They're getting more money earlier, and like the big part of getting more money earlier is going to hire talent. And like how many times we have to hear this cliche that an A plus team with a B plus idea is much better than a B plus team than an A plus idea. And the same sort of applies for. You know, not just the founding team, but also like the executive team that you build out. And I've seen it with businesses. I've seen mm-hmm. founders that are fine, but the business doesn't take off until they bring in that second, third, or fourth person yeah. that really is an expert in like that one specific area that they, they need to, to work on. Mm-hmm. And the business takes off from there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And but for that key hire, the business wouldn't have taken off. End of story, like black and white, all the investors and the pitch decks and the technology throw that out the window. The one differentiating factor in that equation was the new hire that brought in. And then, so then it comes back to, so where do you bring these new hires? How do you get this? And this is a conversation that you and I are having in real time. Yeah, It's not just about working with a recruiter and bringing them in and, you know, you know, just assuming that it's all going to work out, right? It's spending the time up front. This is the, I think the part that everyone's pretty familiar with is spending time up front to making sure you know what you're looking for, like giving someone like an Alex Bond, um, you know, the information that you need to go find the right people. Mm. But the other piece that doesn't get enough attention that's becoming more and more critical is because this is such a, you know, employee environment, you're not just interviewing people thinking that like you're doing them a favor by bringing them in, you know, you have to, we were just talking about this. Yeah. You have to be prepared to sell. And mm-hmm. so it's a, that's a weird situation for a lot of employees for early stage companies to be in, mm-hmm. you know, outside of the founder who has been selling since day one. A lot of them just think that, Hey, you're going to bring this, this individual in I'm going to ask them a bunch of questions. And if I like that, I'll make an offer and they're going to join. Nope not
0: anymore not in 2021 yeah yeah not at all i mean it's yeah i mean obviously you and i were were speaking um you know like you say it's in real time about this but it's it's my pet peeve like it's it drives me to insanity because i think if you've got the audacity to go out and raise capital and you're audacious enough to think you're going to change the world of insurance which is a you know mm-hmm. depending on your the, the way you look at it 600 years old a thousand years older yeah industry
2: mm-hmm.
0: how can you have the audacity to sit there and go oh it's to, to not put enough time into the, the recruiting process to and and by time i mean defining what you need um networking interviewing people when you've maybe you're not ready to hire because you know you might need that person in six months time so building those kind of relationships building relationships with people like me you know it doesn't have to be me but find a recruiter that you trust that can bring you value that you Mm -hmm. you know you want to work with um building internal infrastructure you know teaching your guys how to interview like all of these things for me always come like afterthoughts and and i'm stunned that they do because i always think with the raise i'm like well, what else is the money for? Like, what, what's it really right. for? You know, oh, yeah. we want to spend it on marketing or we want to spend it on, you know, engineering. It's like, well, those are people. Like, that, it's people that are going to execute that. So, right. you know, right. to not take the time out to, um, you know, to, to kind of focus on that is for me insane and and i know i'm sort of preaching to the converted here right but yeah um, one yeah, thing yeah. that i really struck me so this week alone i've seen two people that i've spoken to about oh we want to hire the best of the best of the best and they asked me to do a a, 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 a pitch i did uh, didn't hear anything that's quite normal there's, there's no like that's part of the job
2: yeah and
0: then like they're advertising for these roles on like linkedin and i'm like so that's your strategy for finding the best of the best of the best is, exactly. is to sit there and passively look right. for someone like yep. that that just doesn't match what you're saying you're going to do it's just there's not a kind of there's not a parallel there yeah um, so uh, um to stop me having a rant and ask you an actual no i just it's
1: just funny <laughs> it's like this is like you know turning this around like the, the 2021 forget about vcs and whatever because we're, uh, you know, we're becoming more and more of a commodity. It's what you're doing because what, what you're doing in terms of like the opportunity is so new, right? The environment mm. for employees and how difficult it is. It's getting worse every day, Yeah, right? Like, we're, like we, I don't think we've peaked yet.
0: No, 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 not and at all.
1: So these are all new skills that entrepreneurs, executive, early stage businesses need to build that they've never had to think about before. And so that's opportunity for recruiters. In theory, I think it's an Mm. opportunity for an investor like me. And that's why I'm taking this so seriously. And that's why, you know, I got so lucky and I'm so honored to be on your podcast is because I'm spending the time, right? Trying to think through what makes sense. How can I support my entrepreneurs and founding teams in this ridiculously competitive,
0: hiring environments Mm. um well we are seeing a lot more of that aren't we like it's it's becoming more part of the offering for for um and it used to be kind of it seemed to me that in in the venture community it was more it was an implied part of the investment was to sort of open up your network and try and connect good people to these businesses but it's becoming a little bit more formalized because it's like, right, how can we differentiate in a market that's that rich with capital? Um, you know, uh, you never thought you'd, you'd get your, you know, 5 million checks turned down because you don't have support for recruitment, right? You know, <laughs> that,
2: that. Alex,
1: you know what I'm thinking about? This is in real time. Yeah. I can't wait to see, and it should come any day now, how about a deck that, like, a part of their strategy is we have a, a differentiated hiring strategy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like literally a page on, and, and as a VC, as an investor, it probably makes sense to start asking this question. Um, you know, we always ask, you know, well, who do you want to fill? Do you have profiles? Great. Yeah, they know exactly who they want to fill. But rarely do we ask, well, how are you going to go fill them?
2: Mm.
1: Because, you know, if the answer is, oh, you know, we have LinkedIn and our networks, and we think we'll just blast it out and on our website. Okay, that's a C plus answer. So yeah. okay, that could be part of it. Yeah, but
0: What yeah. else are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah. I I think that's like completely. I I did a talk like five years ago, I think, and it was um to a bunch of kind of tech companies, and it was about uh it was called um what do I call it now? Uh, it was it was if a tree if a if a tree falls in the wood, does it make any sound? And and right. the, and, and the point was that people were advertising for jobs on LinkedIn maybe but on their website and Mm -hmm. and that was the whole recruitment strategy outside kind of like people that they knew
2: yeah
0: and i was like the best people are not looking at your new tech startup to find a role like they might stumble upon it they might kind of by chance but but the the, you know the the circles of kind of influence the, the kind of circles of kind of your connectivity to those best talent are not that rich you know whereas you kind of you need proactive strategies so you know yeah. i would i would think it was incumbent upon a new kind of founder to be going right this is these are the these are the issues i'm going to have from a talent perspective and this is how i'm going to deal with it right because one of the things that i was going to ask you is that do you, do you think founders generally underplay the importance of talent um and the amount of time and effort they're going to have to put into that
1: I think I think early on when, yeah. you know, we've seen this. Uh, founders, they under-index on, mm-hmm. you know, uh, how long it's going to take them to find the right person. And they sort of just like, I need a person. And I don't want to spend money because I'm an early stage founder and I don't have that much money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they don't realize that it's penny wise and pound foolish, no. right? Mm-hmm. They may get someone in and then very quickly realize it's not the right person. And so actually now they're going to spend more money and waste more time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if they had just said, like, look, this role is so critical, or these two or three roles are so critical to the success of my business over the next 12 months, 18 months, that I'd rather pay mm-hmm. someone, spend a little more time like going through a comprehensive process to ensure that I get what I need. Yeah. And I guess we're starting to see more of that, Alex. Probably not as much as you and I both wish we saw but i i think it's an it's an inevitability right that the smarter more progressive founders and entrepreneurs are going to start to do that and the market will inevitably catch up
0: yeah i i I, i've seen that i mean like i'm obviously biased because you know i always think of founders smart when they want to work with me um but um but but you know joking aside just the founders that i really sort of see having huge momentum are the guys that invest in you know i might have a call every week with them just to just to talk about what's coming up what isn't and and you know that's just me um there's plenty of like good people that do what I do and but it's just having a connection with someone that you trust to kind of you know, sometimes it might even be like does this person exist I want to fill this type of spot because you know mm-hmm. you don't know what's out there but right you know to your I think something you raised earlier was you know I kind of sometimes get that oh we just want to see good people and, and look I know what I think good people look like but you know, what problem they're going to solve, you know, great Mm -hmm. people want to know what they're going to come in to do. So the clarity around that's important. Um, Yeah. So look, I'll move away from talent because I otherwise won't stop. And I wanted to ask you about kind of um, a bit of future stuff. But last thing is like, we've talked about kind of what what's negative about pitches that you might see. What's Mm -hmm. your biggest frustration with um, portfolio companies? um, You know, once you've invested, is there a kind of theme of something that you find yeah is, is is the most frustrating thing from those businesses if you can say that course, i don't know i was
1: gonna say first i'm knocking founders inability to appreciate how important hiring is now you want me to knock <laughs> i'm already regretting because founders are far more entrepreneurial braver smarter than me but you know with, <laughs> with uh with our portfolio companies uh look it's uh, so I, i'll say something but i'll preface it with because i think about this all the time and yeah. it's cliche blah 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 blah. But. Um, you know, I work for our, our founders, right. You know, investors We work for our founders, you know, it's an honor for them to allow us to be a part of their journey. Frankly, it's an honor for us to allow them to be a participant in, you know, their business, invest in their business, you know? And so, yeah, sure. If things are going South really quickly, right. And someone wants to come in and say, look, if you don't do this, your business is going to fail and they don't do that. That's a different story. But, Mm. you know, as long as things are going reasonably well, I'll give my two cents and if, you know, my support and if the founder takes it and does something with it, great. And if they, you know, they don't, it's not my business, you Mm -hmm. know, and I sort of invested because I trusted Mm -hmm. that person. So yeah, are there times I'm like, eh, I think I was right. You should have taken that advice and they don't, sure. But am I losing sleep over it? Absolutely not. Because that's sort of part of the game and that's the deal we make, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not my business.
0: Is is that something that's evolved in you over time? Like, like have you kind of put more distance from when you first started doing this, or have you always kind of took that kind of?
1: No, you're yeah, you're right, Alex. I think out of the gate, it's like you know we're more. I you know, I thought that we were more on equal foot, footing, and to a certain extent, we are. But I definitely get a little more. Uh, I take it a little more personally when my advice wasn't heeded. Mm -hmm. And I think over time, you realize that it's like, look, that's not your job to force something on a founder, you give them support, you give them your guidance, you know, they'll come to you when they need it, you know, and if there is something proactive, you want to reach out to them about that, you know, that works too. But it all goes back to that empathy thing, right? It's a game of empathy. Yeah and you know the last thing you want to do is force someone down force something down someone's throat only to have them say whoa never going back to that guy yeah,
2: yeah, yeah and then
1: going forward the whole relationship is strained because every time you ask for information you get a half-baked answer because they're not interested in giving you the full story because they know you're just going to beat them over the head
0: mm. yeah i it's it's a, it's amazing to me how much of like business and this is just you know in general but it's just it's only about empathy and it's only about people, you know, like I don't think it's like very few people get up in the morning and go, I'm going to do a bad day's work or I'm going <laughs> to try and fail, you know, and and right. sometimes we right. have to step back and remem- remember that, you know, and, and good go, point.
2: good point.
0: Yeah. You know, no, one's trying to mess up but
2: point.
0: but we all do right <laughs> yeah yeah
2: yeah
0: um i'm laughing because so i definitely just say completely ridiculous yesterday and i'm like happens you know it happens uh, and it's something really quite often these things are really minor but they they mess up for you but on to more positive yeah. stuff and um, yeah. you know i just wanted to know what's next well i was gonna say what's next for nfp but it'll be yeah <laughs> yeah
2: uh
1: so um we're in the process of uh moving from NFP ventures, to distributed ventures as I alluded to it, uh, yeah. at the outset. So in terms of what we do as investors differentiation, strategic support, muscle, all that good stuff, nothing changes. Mm-hmm. You know, the only change is instead of NFP and you know individuals in NFP being our sole or our core LP, they're going to be you know sort of the anchor block LP and yeah. you know we're actively engaged with um, outside institutionals, and, you know, the thought is we've done such a phenomenal job, and, you know, if I, if I can say so myself with you, with, you know, um, helping our portfolio companies, you know, early stage leveraging what NFP has you know, to offer. And so the thought is, you know, we don't want to work with 50, you know, other potential strategics, but we do want to sort of broaden that strategic scope, that strategic horizon, take the same playbook that's worked really well over the last three and a half years mm-hmm. and, you know, um, bring others to the table so to speak and so um same core team same core thesis again hopefully the same success but over the coming weeks and months we should have more information on the distributed ventures fund
0: awesome adam i think that's a really positive lovely way to uh, uh end it so thank you so much for taking the time that's super interesting i've wanted to do this one for a while and um yeah, I hope I get to come out to New York soon and we can uh, we can we can have a beer that we've probably been thinking about for a while. Anytime, say the word. Right.
1: Thanks for having me Alex. This is a lot of fun.
0: Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. As always this podcast is brought to you by finpro search partners often simply known as finpro finpro is an executive recruitment business working in the insurance and insure tech space on an international basis if you would like to find out more about finpro please visit our website www.wearefinpro.com or our finpro company page on linkedin I've been your host, Alex Bond, and I would personally love to connect with anyone who is interested in the changing world of insurance. So feel free to reach out to me directly, um, either on LinkedIn or via my email at
2: com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you.